welcome to the Evidence Informed Teaching Podcast. Are you a teacher wanting to improve your classroom practice and deliver excellent teaching through access to research? Do you have a passion for teaching and are looking to connect with other like-minded colleagues through professional discussions? The Charter College has partnered with TeacherTap to support teachers to deliver excellent teaching through access to research and we invite you to be part of this community. On this podcast you will hear from fellow teachers, research experts and you have the opportunity to be part of this professional discussion. You can find out more about the Charter College of Teaching and TeacherTap in the show notes and if you find this episode helpful why not share it with a teacher friend take a screenshot and post it on your social media or even better leave us a five-star written review welcome to the latest of our evidence-informed teaching podcasts i'm really excited uh today because we have colleagues who have pursued the charter teacher route who are going to be sharing their views with us um, but before, as always, we also have the wonderful Karen Vespisa, who is here from TeacherTap, and we're also joined by Dr. Lisa Maria Mullo, who's the head of our research department at the Chartered College. We're thinking today about TeacherTap data that shows that research leads in schools seem to be declining. I mean, shock horror. So I wonder, um, Karen, can we hear a bit from you about what the headlines are saying? Thank you. Yes, of course. So we track all sorts of things on TeachTap um, and we've been looking at the, the roles that people undertake in school, like Senko or ITT or NQT mentors, ECT mentors, that type of thing. And one of the things we track is research leads. And back in 2019, um, around 5% of teachers told us that they had a research lead in their school. So it's never been a massive amount. It's not been a particularly popular role. Um, but in 2020 and 2022, that dropped to 4%. And when we asked this month, it was only 3%. So that's the kind of decline that we're talking about. It's not massive. We haven't run any statistical tests on it, so it might not actually be significant. But it's it's not going in the direction you might have thought it was. Where the role does exist, we had a little look at who's doing it, and we found that most often it's a member of the SLT. So of SLT who responded to TeachTap, 10% uh, hold the role of research lead. Um, there's slightly fewer heads, so only 8% of heads are a research lead. 3% of middle leaders and the one that I found most interesting is only 1% of classroom teachers hold the position of research lead. We spotted it's slightly more common in independent schools than in state schools but the phase so whether you're in a primary school or a secondary school that doesn't seem to make much difference at all. We did wonder though whether it's just kind of a label thing maybe people are doing this but without being called research lead so nearly a quarter of schools have a member of staff who is responsible for helping colleagues find and engage with research so that sounds slightly more positive um, in this case it was more common to have that member of staff um, if you're in a secondary school than in a primary school um, and I wonder if that might just be because there's often a lot more staff in secondary than there are in primary. It's also more likely in this case to be a head teacher. So 25% of heads said that it's 
their job to find and share research. So perhaps people think of this a little less formally than other roles that are allocated in school. Um, but still, only 1% of class teachers said that they're this person who's responsible for sharing the research. Um, and I found it quite interesting as well that um, Ofsted outstanding schools were more likely to have someone who was responsible for looking for research than in the other Ofsted categories. But again, it's decreasing slightly overall. So we asked in 2021, and at that point, 27% of teachers said that there's a member of staff in their school who's responsible for helping others find and engage with research. And now that's 25%. So from 27% to 25% over two years, it's not a massive change. Again, might not be statistically significant, but when you take it alongside the decrease in research leads, we're perhaps starting to spot a bit of a pattern here. Um, but I don't want to end on too much of a downer. So it's worth also noting that nearly half of teachers told us that they use research, although that's slightly down again since when we asked in 2021. Um, and two thirds of teachers consider their practice to be research informed, um, but still down a little bit. Um, but before we pass to the, the panel for their thoughts on this and your thoughts, Alison, I just wanted to kind of talk a little bit about how it could be the data that's to blame on this one. So TeacherTap has a really big sample of teachers. Um, this year, uh, this week, we had 10,000 teachers respond to a single question on TeacherTap. So there's loads of teachers who do it, which is, makes it a really good response rate, a really good sample of what's going on in schools in England. And to make sure of that, we check our questions, we compare the results to other surveys that take place um, to see if we're getting similar results, which we do. Um, we also make sure that the data is cleaned to make sure that people who aren't teachers, are, who might be on the app having a little look around, uh, that their data isn't included when we're talking about this in a research uh, way. Um, and we also use DFE data to weight our responses so that we make sure that what we learn on TeachTap is representative of all teachers in the population in England. So it's a nationally representative sample. But we've always wondered whether we're quite as representative when it comes to research, because it's kind of this research tool, it's an app that's kind of promoting research. We think we probably have slightly more teachers than normal who are interested in research. Um, so perhaps our data is skewed a little bit towards people who are more interested. Um, and as we've grown, as we've reached this fantastic 10,000 number, maybe our sample is kind of leveling out and becoming more representative. So we launched back in 2019 at a research conference. We launched at ResearchEd and our first thousand teachers we're all at that conference. So we know there are people who are kind of a bit more research prone <laughs> than normal teachers. Um, but now we're at 10,000, perhaps the sample's balancing out and we're not actually seeing a reduction in people who are engaged with research. Maybe we're just seeing a balancing of the teacher tap sample. So that's just one hypothesis before we kind of dive down a rabbit hole of it's all going really bad. It, it might not be, these aren't massive changes, but I think they're really interesting to discuss. 
Thank you very much indeed, Karen. Now I'm joined um, by a panel of chartered teachers, as I said. I'm just going to introduce all of them, and then we're going to have a, a kind of discussion, but I will also point to people for particular questions. So we welcome Charlotte Howarth, who is assistant head teacher at Whitworth High School. Angela Schofield, who is Programme Development Lead at Excelsior Matt in Birmingham. Adam Lamb, who's Head of Faculty for Languages at Mossbourne Community Academy. And Christopher Johnston, History Teacher at St Joseph's College, Stoke-on-Trent. So welcome all of you. Thank you very much indeed for giving up your time after a busy day in school. Um, the first question I've got to you, and I'd like to come to each of you in turn, is is there a stagnating interest in research? Are you seeing that in your community? Can we start with you, Charlotte? I would say no, there's not a stagnating um, sort of approach in, in to research here. Certainly not at, at this school and within this sort of um, the locality and the teaching community around here. We're a small community school at the end of a valley in Lancashire. And the job that I've got came up last year as in charge of teaching and learning. And they wanted somebody with a specific um, sort of research lead in, in sort of mind and somebody who had, they were keen to get somebody with my sort of my experience and at, with the chartered teacher program, having done that as well. Um, and it was being pushed to put um, on the school improvement plan um, that we are becoming more evidence-led and more sort of evidence-informed and, and research-led. Um, I don't think it's stagnating here. In fact, I, I actually think we're a tiny little bit behind and I think we're just kind of coming up to um, where some other places perhaps might be at this point in time. Um, and I think we're sort of getting going with it. So there are some schools that are probably and some areas and communities that might be well ahead and maybe it is starting to stagnate elsewhere potentially, but for us definitely, and I think in the Rosendale Valley, I think we're just sort of, actually, we're getting really stuck into this now and really getting involved in this. And this is this is really important to us. It's, it's great to hear. And I can just tell from the energy in your voice that this is really exciting development yeah. in, uh, in what you're doing. So that's, that's fabulous. Can I come to you, Angela? How are things in Birmingham research-wise? I, I certainly wouldn't say it's stagnating. So um, my role was created. It's, it hasn't got research lead in the title, but it is all about supporting all our schools to be research informed. I'm also um, an evidence lead in education for a local research school. And we've got two massive research schools. They are oversubscribed on their projects, which is quite rare. Um, so I think in Birmingham, there is a huge appetite for evidence informed practice. Great to hear. Um, Adam, how are things with you? Um, just reflecting on what other people have said, before I was head of faculty, I was a lead practitioner. And it was my job to very much upskill myself um, to be part of that. And one of, the, one of my tasks was to help the rest of the school, whole school environment to engage with research as well. So during lockdown, we used the likes of Team for a little read and digest forum. Um, but not just that, it also... Um, myself and the team I would say there's a team of us or yeah there's a team within our school that are centered and have that responsibility for pushing out research and we actually revamped our observation system to really really focus on areas that pertained that were underpinned by research and the core values that we think underpin what excellent teaching is informed by research 
And I think that's really, really helped the staff body really engage with research and why it is we believe these are our core values that underpin quality teaching and learning. So you, you think that there's a real understanding across the school of why this matters so much? Absolutely. And I think it, it, it goes down into the feedback that we give. Every feedback that we give is very much cause and effect. And if you do this, this will happen. And this is the research that underpins this. So for instance, looking at um, students having nothing in their hands to avoid splitting attention, that's the kind of language that us as leaders, we expect our middle leaders to use with staff when they're given feedback. So it's very, very detailed, very, very specific and we we talk through what that looks like as well um, and that's me as a faculty lead as well as somebody who's had previous experience as a lead practitioner as well. Thank you very much Adam and now last but not least we'll come to you Christopher. So Christopher Johnston how how are you finding things in Stoke-on-Trent? Encouraging I'd say sort of two years ago when there was the position that came up uh, for research lead in our school it, it was a completely new position um, and one that allowed me to sort of like sort of develop the role. But fortunately at the time I was doing the Chartered College of Teaching, which really put me in a, you know, a really good position to, you know, to, to go, for, go for it. And then sort of last year uh, as a school, we all did uh, one of the evidence-based education programs. Uh, so a lot of us did the science of learning. And what that meant across that year we sort of developed a share language and, you know, sort of really got this understanding of the value of research and being, you know, evidence informed. Uh, and then moving into this year, our, our CBD is very much focused on being evidence informed. Um, and, you know, I'm sort of involved in the, in the delivery of that. And we've, over the last two years, we've got a journal club, uh, you know, so, you know, people get involved in that. And really, re uh, very recently, we've also got breakfast club where people uh, come in the morning and share practice. But it's a case of that's very much focused on being evidence informed. So our last one was on sort of the disciplinary literacy, the sort of, you know, informed by the, the EEF report, and then people shared practice on that. So in Stoke-on-Trent, I think, you know, it's, it's thriving. It's not stagnating. Great to hear. I, I, I love hearing all these stories. I'm interested to understand how your studies as chartered teachers have helped you build your confidence, your self-efficacy, your effectiveness in your current roles um, leading research. And I wonder if you could, each of you, just give us a little snippet of, of the, the sorts of things that you were studying um, when you were studying for your chartered teacher route that really, really gave you um, some insight. So can we come to you, Charlotte, first of all? Can you spill the beans on what happened in your chartered teacher course? <laughs> I can. Um, apart from it being the best bit of CPD I've, bit of, <laughs> huge period of CPD I've ever had in my whole entire career. So I started off with the um, certificate in uh, evidence-formed um, practice and I looked at my mind just went blank there for a second sorry retrieval practice how ironic it went it was retrieval we did lots of work on retrieval retrieval practice but then my final piece was looking at um literacy and the use of different strategies with um underachieving boys and it was a really interesting project actually one that's lent itself really well to me coming into this role here at this school um who were really pushing forward on the reading and literacy sort of whole school approach um, so I was able to carry out quite a lot of study with the with a group of year nine boys over a decent period of time and it led to some 
reasonably conclusive evidence that I, I specifically looked at the use of the Freya model and how we could use that to support um, these boys understanding the geographical key terminology and to help boost their confidence in the reading and, and, and disciplinary academic text in geography. And it was a really just the whole the whole sort of um, program leading up to that just really helped build my confidence in where to find research, what to look for, really how to look for bias, you know, how to um, just really consider a research project project from beginning to end. And I've not done anything like that since I was at university, which was a long time ago. Um, and it really has changed my practice. Absolutely. And while while I'm probably one person we're a small school and I think um, I'm the only person who's sort of done this sort of qualification and so I'm really trying to feed that into into our school and it's going to take time but I would say that that really has set me up well with the sort of clear um, approaches and how to carry out research where to go how to do it what's the best way to disseminate this information and so on and and I would say without a doubt has been the best thing I did in my career well thank you I'm, I'm, you know it's a shame we're not paying you really isn't it for this <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but uh, I, I'm really pleased to hear that and it's 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 evident from listening to you that you're confident about what you've explored um, sometimes people think well to engage with research you know you've got to be able to have read a whole library of books and you've got to be able to theorize about all different aspects of teaching and learning and it's very possible to start small and just start with a particular area of practice in your classroom in your teaching and really refine and develop and learn more about that so um it's brilliant to hear what you've, what you've been doing um can we come to you Angela can you tell us about your project and um what 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 did you study um so I did quite a bit of work around um reading and how we scaffold reading through we identified the barriers from the 2016 SATs and it was vocabulary and background knowledge and stamina. So we developed a, I developed a reading scheme in my school that was then shared with another six local schools. So that was quite nice. So I had lots of evidence then to be able to say where it worked and where it didn't and how you could tweak it. And then for my final one, it was looking at oracy and we used the Tower Hamlet sentence stems. So the children's oral rehearsal was far more structured using the right level language. Um, and it was to improve their written answers and it, it worked. The SATs went up massively. So that was quite nice. It's quite a nice way to end the course, which was brilliant, but I have to say one of the hardest things I've ever done. One of the best, but one of the hardest. It was, um, it was rigorous, put it that way. It's interesting that you talk about oracy because I just have a, a kind of hunch, which is not very evidence informed at all, is it? But anyway, that oracy is going to become one of the one of the next things that we really focus on in classrooms up and down the country, because the more that you can develop your cognition through expressing ideas, articulating arguments, refining your knowledge, the better it strikes me. And uh, so it's interesting that you found such a positive result from your project there. And also that you just dropped in that your reading program was used in six schools, you know, that was nice. <laughs> it, it was really nice. Without without those projects and that course, I wouldn't be doing the job I'm doing now. And I, I, I hope you're right about oracy. I'm a national oracy leader for Voice 21 and, and I do a lot of work with that now in schools around the country. And I really hope that we start to see it being valued a lot more. Yeah, well, we'll have to collect the evidence so that we can uh, we can show people, won't we? Thank you very much. Um, Adam, can you tell us about your studies? 
please? Absolutely. Um, mine stems from a GCSE class that I had last year. Obviously, we were facing examinations for the first time for two years after the COVID gap. And at the December mock, I realised that in the skill of listening, I'm a linguist, so I teach Spanish with this accent. Uh, what we noticed in the December mock examination was there was a huge deficit in the reading um, component compared to the speaking, the listening and the writing, the conductive elements more so. And when I had a look on AQA Centre Services, it, my school pretty much reflected the national trend. And I wanted to dig into a little bit what were my students doing that was causing this huge gap. Um, so it led me to look at how my class were reading, and it turned out that they could highlight where an answer was in the text, they knew exactly where it was, but they weren't decoding enough information from the mark scheme in order to secure the points needed to obtain the marks. So uh, it led me to look at reading strategies, so looking at the top-down processing where we look at our kind of lived experience, we look at the information that's around us, and looking at bottom-up strategies as well, so how we go about decoding information. Um, and what it what I did was I was fortunate enough to teach the same group, the same set in 2019. So I had data to compare it with as well, almost a, um, a control cohort. And the level of progress that that class, the 2022 cohort made to the final GCSE, when you look at their final GCSE data, um, it, it really outstripped the 2019 results. But not just that, it took as a linguist as well, it, it, it really engaged me as a practitioner and put me back to how I learned, for instance, Russian and Czech, which was very much um, a morphological approach, looking at endings, looking at prefixes, they're very morphologically involved languages, um, and sharing that passion with the students as well, and it almost became a game of decoding unknown vocabulary, and the boys seemed to love it, so it was really, really energised those, and spreading that that idea of looking at morphology of words, such as looking at photosynthesis, realizing that synthesis or synthetic is that process of making and photo involving light and relating that to science just to help give our explanations or maybe if we're learning key words, that extra bit pizzazz, that extra bit meaning to students to see if they can remember it in a slightly different way. And I shared that with the whole school. And I'm also sharing that at Research Ed in Cheshire in the summer. Great. And, and just that whole uh, kind of passion for what you're teaching, why it works, sharing that with the students, such a, a really brilliant way of working that you are ex excited about what you're doing, but you're also developing the students still further. Um, you know, I, I personally find it irresistible. So um, it's great to hear that you, you've got improved results as a, a consequence. So Thank you very much, Adam. Um, I think I might be at Research Ed Cheshire, so I'll, I'll see you there. That would be that would be great. Christopher, can we come to you? Um, can you talk to us about your project? What, what were you focusing on? Yeah, well, first of all, like Charlotte, I did my uh, certificate uh, in ev evidence for practice on uh, retrieval, and it's super popular, isn't it? And you know, lots of lots of people are doing it. Um, but I found doing that was so important to like really understanding how, you know, how to use it most effectively and, and not just use retrieval for retrieval sake, you know, because that's what everyone's doing. And at the time, I'd sort of picked out, Kat Scott had said that a, a superficial understanding risks ineffective implementation or worse, lethal mutations of that. So the whole process, you know, of doing the certificate in evidence informed practice, thinking really carefully about the research, understanding the complexity around the research, 
you know, was, was really valuable. And I guess that sort of approach, I've really tried to then take forward in, in, in everything that, that I, I'm, you know, I'm doing. And, and actually then when sharing, you know, sort of uh, approaches to retrieval practice um, with colleagues, the fact, you know, that we're thinking really carefully about why we're using it, its value and, and its effectiveness. Um, so, you know, it's something that's not going to just be a fad. It's something that, you know, is, is effective work, you know, works and we you know we will continue to, to use it. For the classroom practice inquiry project, I, I focused on feedback. Um, so my focus was on like, the impact of feedback on tasks, but also combined with feedback on learning processes and self-regulation. Uh, and that was with my uh, year 11 uh, GCSE class, particularly looking at trying to improve attainment on their, uh, on their, their essays uh, as a history teacher, we write quite a lot of them. And again, that process of you know, looking at the, at the research into it, but then actually when looking at the research, finding that there is still work to be done you know, here, and then it sort of made me realize, well, it, you know, it, it certainly makes for a really good classroom practice project because then it's a case of, you know, sort of looking at that impact, you know, with, with, with the students. And, and based on that project, it, it, it was clear that it, it did have, you know, huge impact, you know, based on, you know, how students progressed across that time and, and just sort of, you know, sort of the quality of their writing based on, on the, you know, developing that type of feedback was, was really quite significant. And it's something we've now, you know, extended into, into our other years. And it, it's something that, you know, I've been able to share with colleagues and you know, it's been sort of, you know, used in, 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 you know, in other departments as well. But, you know, rooted then in that, you know, that original, you know, in, in that original research, which just seemed to see there was a need to develop it further and clearly some, something that needs further development. So, so what did you do in terms of the feedback? Because if we don't get it right, then there's evidence that actually we can make things worse. So what did you do to really improve the process of providing feedback? So it was a case of like, say a student had, had, had completed a paragraph. I guess in the past, my, my way of giving feedback was very much on that task to make corrections to that particular piece of work. Um, but you know, sort of in this project, it's very much like looking at the learning processes in actually completing that paragraph. So, you know, what particular qualities, you know, do we need to, to have? Uh, and it, a lot of that was then, you know, making use of like model answers within the feedback as well from students in the, in the class and, you know, demonstrating the qualities. And in terms of the self-regulation, it's very much, okay, when, when we think about what we've done, but what we need to do, you know, in terms of like bridge, you know, so this is what we've done, but this is where our aim is. What do we need to do? It's that self-regulation of what will I need to do next time to progress further? And it was very much getting the students to identify what they needed to do. And then it's very much then seeing that happen, you know, in the next piece of work that they, that, that they did. And that's what was really powerful. Yeah, I love, I love that notion of forward-looking assessment yeah. as opposed to retrospective assessment. Fascinating. Now, listen, you know, we've had some really interesting insights from our colleagues, and I think we can say, Karen, quite categorically that um, research is alive and well in these regions of the country. Um, Lisa Maria, Dr. Lisa Maria, I wonder if you might just give us your views on 
you'll find out the findings that from teacher tap and also just listening to our colleagues you know what's your take on all of this I think, first of all, um, very heartening, but also not surprising at all, given our panel, um, that research is indeed um, thriving and well, as you as you put it. Um, I wonder to what extent, uh, maybe because some of these practices have become so embedded, it's sometimes less explicit um, how research evidence they they actually are, especially when it comes to retrieval practice, they're maybe so embedded, it's, um, it's yeah, as I said, not made explicit um, anymore necessarily um, with references to the research literature. And also maybe it's become so embedded in, um, in teachers' practice that um, they don't necessarily reflect on um, on, on the sources of, of some of these strategies, but obviously to play devil's advocate um, and to have a, a balanced view, I also wonder whether to some extent, and in some places, as uh, Charlotte said, I think we definitely had a phase where um, research evidence was treated as kind of the next silver bullet, um, that evidence-informed practice was going to solve all of our issues, and I think it can, um, but as Chris pointed out, obviously, we need to be very careful about it. it's not a short term quick fire solution. It requires deep, long standing, critical engagement um, with the literature that is always changing as well. So um, we're only just um, starting out to understand, for example, how the cognitive sciences can um, be applied in the classroom, as um, Perry and colleagues from the EEF have shown. We've got a very good theoretical understanding of um, cognitive sciences and learning and memory, but how that then really works in practice is a different question. And we saw from our recent, recent um, cognitive science research priority setting activity that teachers have many and really excellent questions about the implementation of cognitive sciences in practice. Because once you try and implement some of these strategies in your classroom, um, you obviously come up with questions such as, so how often should I be doing retrieval? And as Chris said, should I just be doing it for the sake of it? Does every one of my lessons need to start with it? Um, and how do I combine it with other strategies, such as interleaving, for example, where does that come in? Or how do I combine it with non-cognitive science strategies? How do I implement it not just within one lesson, which might be the, um, the level of analysis that has been used in the research paper, but how do I implement it across um, a scheme of work, across the curriculum? What if all of my other colleagues are using retrieval practice as well? Is there a saturation point maybe amongst students where they say, well, actually, can you just leave us alone with these quizzes? Can we just get on with without? Maybe maybe there isn't. We just don't know. And so um, I think that maybe there is that if we if we look at the results and we think that there might be maybe some disengagement, disenchantment with research in some areas potentially. Um, I could imagine that that could be um, the case, but clearly, as we see with our panel today, and we see with um, so the, the many people who are engaging with our various resources. Um, there is that appetite there, but I think we've always made it very clear also at the Chartered College that engaging with research is a complex and really lifelong, um, or at least professional lifelong um, task that doesn't stop at some point, um, because we need to stay up to date and um, and engage with the research um, as it emerges. We see it um, in medicine on, on a regular basis that research evidence is being updated, recommendations are being changed. We saw it um, on a daily basis during the COVID pandemic, for example, we were just live spectators to, um, to do different recommendations changing and the same is happening in education. Um, so that's my two cents at this point. 
Thank you very much, Lisa Maria. Well, I, I think that, uh, you know, we've had a very uh, full discussion about this. For, for me, obviously, leading the Chartered College of Teaching, I believe that it's our responsibility professionally to constantly seek to improve our practice, to constantly look and find out and listen and read and, and debate about how we do the best we can for our students because they only get one chance of being at school and we need to make sure that that chance is is optimized for them so from my point of view uh of course the charter college is the answer whatever the question the charter college is the answer in terms of building practice encouraging people to ask questions sharing ideas i just love the fact that every time an impact journal arrives is just chock full of people sharing their practice but doing it with such humility and I think that's that's wonderful both from classroom teachers from school leaders from academics just really kind of teasing out you know what might work and for the reader to be able to look at that and think well maybe this is something that could help what I'm doing in my classroom right now so um, it's been wonderful to talk to all of you. Thank you very much indeed for, as I say, giving up your time at the end of a busy school day. Um, and thank you very much, Teacher Tap, for just giving us that provocation. If you have enjoyed today's episode and would like to access more research evidence for your classroom, you can join the Chartered College of Teaching for as little as $1.96 per month at www.chartered.college. And remember to download TeacherTap free from your app or Play Store to share your views, opinions and experiences from the classroom. Every voice makes the picture clearer.